those beards, Dave. Uh, those beards, I know. They go into they go into quarantine and they come out with a fantasy novel. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Hey, Davey. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Good. Good to hear your voice again. How you been? Yeah. Um, it's been a great week. Yeah. I just been so lovely today is memorial day and there's a classic running event in boulder called the boulder boulder and it's canceled because of social distancing but um yeah it was exciting because julie and i woke up and decided to run a 10k so i'm feeling pretty invigorated right now oh wow you already ran 10k before before noon that's that's very impressive yeah yeah um did a little stretching and now i'm just moving on to my coffee break you know yeah that sounds like you're gonna have a nice nap come 4 p.m this afternoon oh yeah um that'd be great if i could make it that far you know (laughs) (laughs) what about you how are you doing today bob uh i'm doing really well yeah it's really sunny i'm in my office in Santa Cruz and just a glorious day out today. Um, yeah. And excited for our show. We definitely should we, should we tell them the, the theme of the episode? Yeah. Tell them and me, cause we got to get us all on the same page, you know, let's do that. Let's all turn to the same page. And this week we're doing episode three and the topic is, Radical publishing, and we're going to focus on AK Press, a publishing house out of Chico, California. And then we're also going to focus on one of their books in particular called Joyful Militancy. Um, But before we get into all that, I just want to check in more deeply with you about how you've been over these the last month um, since we've been doing podcasts and any any bigger feelings or yeah just how you're um sort of coping with everything that's going on it's it's such a mixed bag when i'm when i'm going into it when i'm thinking about this last this pandemic time um for the most part i feel like i feel really lucky and blessed with all that i've that's happened to me because i haven't lost my job and i Um, don't know I haven't lost anybody Um, so it feels really lucky to that um, COVID hasn't hit me too hard but I also feel that Colorado is kind of behind and I think it's going to be a big wave coming up here and if it doesn't hit in the summer then it will hit pretty hard in the fall and um, so I definitely feel a lot of like hesitancy and um, yeah just like reading the New York Times this weekend they you know, the U.S. death toll has gone over 100,000 due to COVID. And they posted um, a thousand people that have died and a, like a one sentence about each of those people. And it's just like astronomical to see uh, the numbers like laid out in print or on like in reality. And when you think about those numbers and how 
grandiose and big those are, it's just um, fill, fills me with a lot of sadness. So, um, yeah, it's just like these this roller coaster ride that I've been on. That sounds about where I'm at as well. The roller coaster really feels like a good metaphor for me. <laughs> Reminds me of our dad when people used to ask him how he's doing. He would always say, you know, same as everyone, ups and downs. Uh, that that <laughs> yeah. feels so true. Um, yeah, I, would, I was going to ask you if there's anything that most surprises you about anything. Like, what's the thing that has most surprised you during the pandemic? And it could be like something in society or it could just be something in your own life that you found out about yourself. Yeah, I guess the thing that's most surprised me is how this transition has been smooth and I definitely feel like I get a lot of energy from my from my introversion, even though I display as an extrovert. I feel mm. like I've been so comfortable um, leaving the house just every other week for grocery shopping, and that's it, and doing everything else, cooking and um, all my work from home. So I've been surprised by how um, busy I've felt and how um, smooth this transition's been, because I don't think it's like that for everybody. And yeah, what about you? Yeah, no, I'm I'm just picturing you in your house having left in weeks or months and just a massive beard and, you know, like a, a Jeremiah Johnson type look. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm growing it out. I don't know if you know that. I, um, I started the pandemic out and I was going to grow my hair out. And then I'm like, you know what? I should just go beard because if it's a pandemic, you got to get your beard going. So yeah, my beard's getting massive and it's uh, really smooth, really good. Yeah. There's like some people that I haven't Zoomed or video conferenced and, uh, you know, I'll probably see them at some point and they'll look so different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like either it's super long hair or I don't know, maybe they sh shaved up off all their hair. I think hair, hair is an interesting one with the pandemic. That's a show in and of itself, I think. Yeah, right. I don't know if you know this, Bob, but um, mom, our mom revealed something interesting to me this week is she is using the pandemic to let herself go gray. Yep. Yeah. And, she, she told me that as well. Yeah. Which is, I mean, she's 77 years old and she's never um, been a blue hair or a gray head. Um, and I'm really excited that she's um, just because it, every hairdresser has been... Um, closed up until like this week and she's like you know what i think because i already have such a long stretch of going gray and i'm not going to see anyone for another month or another few months i'm just going to use it as that as an opportunity and i feel like there's so many of those little opportunities that have popped up for people whether it's like going gray or letting your beard grow out or something totally not related to hair too <laughs> yeah just like these interesting things are growing in like in this case literally but growing in the um you know the caves or the cracks of the dystopia um and it's things like that that give me a lot of hope well not a lot but it like i attach myself to those things that we can't see that are happening out there yes definitely which is the theme of the, the show later on with joyful militancy um mm. I'll also hit on that point that you mentioned around 
how shitty things are that, you know, the 100,000 people who have died in the United States and then close to 400,000 people worldwide. And that's brutal. I mean, that's just fucked up and brutal. Um, And Mm -hmm. there's no, there's very little collective grieving. Um, New York Times, yeah, that article like made some steps towards it, but it's just like, I think the fact that we're not grieving on a large scale is like, that's going to come back somehow, you know, like the deep psychology of society. Um, You know, I think about like hauntings um, when, when something doesn't get grieved, it gets, there's like a haunting that occurs. Um, Hmm. Can you speak to that a little more? That doesn't, I'm not too familiar. Just like you're haunted by that, um, that idea or that image. Yeah. There's, um, book called ghostly matters it's uh by a sociologist named avery gordon and she talks about basically the ungrieved trauma of slavery and colonization um Mm -hmm. is a haunting on u.s society and western knowledge and which like black people and indigenous people who have been killed um And in this case, like the grieving would be some kind of like reparations or, you know, decolonization. And since that's not happened, there's a haunting and the, it, it's a, it's actually a a commentary on whiteness and in which whiteness is haunted by all the trauma that has created it, that has gone into the creation of whiteness. Um, Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. Which is a deep one yeah i i also you know i'm talking about whiteness i wanted to hit on that a little bit in today's show so i I guess i'll just go into it a bit Um, sure it's you know something that i study in in my dissertation and all that whiteness is a social and political category that was created um you know starting 500 years ago and it still is created every day that we don't abolish it that we don't abolish racism and race um so it's underlying all of our social problems the um the ways in which the anti-social distancing protests are imbued with whiteness in this case this entitlement to social space and um but also whiteness infects us very subtly for example our show like you and i as two white people we there's ways in which whiteness is a part of our show and we're not um, always attending attending to it and I, I want us to try to attend to it more consciously one way that i was thinking about it is we've brought up a number of different dystopias in this show and all of them oh, yeah. have been written by white people or starring white people um and you know whiteness part of the way that whiteness operates is it that it um, sort of controls the imagination, um, you know, where white characters or like white ways of being. Um, so I wanted to sort of fight against that a little bit in this and bringing up this dystopia that has felt very relevant to me um, by Octavia Butler called the parable of the sower parable of the talents. 
Have you read that one, mm-hmm. Dave? Um, yeah, I've read the first one, The Parable of the Sower. I didn't, and I've I made it halfway through The Parable of the Talents, um, and I actually just read it last year. That was what I was doing on my road trip from Vermont to Colorado, was reading that book, and yeah, I was definitely blown away by it and loved it. Um, and yeah, like I know one of the big things about it is it's was supposed to be a trilogy. Um, yes. And I think the first book was written in the eighties. Is that correct? No, no. I, I think it was 1994 and okay. then, um, the second book, 96 uh, around in there. Yep. Yeah. And I've, also, I think that Octavia Butler died before she was able to finish the trilogy, right? Yeah, she did. Um, just way too young. Um, she actually slipped on ice. And, oh, no. Uh, yeah. No. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how she died, but something related to that accident. Dang, yeah. Um, but I know also on top of that is that she didn't have a clear vision of how she wanted – because of – she wanted to finish the trilogy in a hopeful way, right? So right. Parable of the Sowers opens up where I, it's like L.A. and all the communities of L.A. are sort of like walled off communities. And yep, between in those walled off communities, there's walled off neighborhoods inside of those. And um, so every community is like totally shut down to the outside world and – um, just leaving the leaving the safety of the walls is a um, really scary act. So it starts off in a really just um, dark place with um, violence and fear and control. And I know that Octavia Butler was wanting to end the series in a very hopeful way, but she also didn't really see that hope. In she wasn't like inviting that in the world that we're living in. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to speak to, you know, we always want to leave people with hope, but sometimes it's hard to find that hope, right? Definitely. Yep. And, um, we want that hope to be grounded in reality as our friend Taylor talked about. Um, you know, we don't want this like Pollyanna hope that is, um, you know, just saccharine and superficial. We want actually hope grounded in something deep, something lasting. Yeah, because otherwise it's just another um, lie or falseness that's being fed to us that we are that um, kind of in enforces this uh, false idea and it enforces the dystopia rather than breaks it down, right? Yes, exactly right. Yeah, and yeah, I'm so that uh, parable, you know, the parable of the sower. I also just wanted to mention that it starts off with the, the, this rise of a political figure um, that is a sort of Christian fascist, um, and the the logo or the you know slogan is "Make America Great Again." Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah, no. MAGA, that, huh? It was a MAGA that it's literally those words that Butler wrote in the '90s, um, and it's so prophetic. Um, you know, her her vision is amazing and. It, uh, it does lead to AK Press, like Octavia Butler, and I'll t- talk about that in a moment. But yeah, I just wanted that book. What it does is, um, you know, it shows us 
the ways in which our desires have been colonized by, you know, the powers that be and where people, you know, some of it, the dystopia is living in fear, but some of it is the ways that people choose to live in it, you know, choose at which is what we're going through now, the ways that these people are choosing to not wear masks um, or, you know, choosing to um, have get togethers or barbecues. Exactly or right. Entertain yeah. guests at their house. Yeah. So it, it, it fights against that idea like, oh, if you just show people reality, then things will change. And it's actually just not that simple because our desires have been colonized. And I love the parable series for the way that Butler works on that. Um, so yeah, I wanted to bring that in. And before we get to AK Press, I wanted to see if you had any dystopias that you wanted to highlight this week. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to just say that, I mean, part of the reason we brought it up was um, the fact that um, Butler is black and her main character. I can't remember the name of the main character. The girl oh, yeah. is a, a black girl. Remember Olamina? Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Yep. Um, and um, I mean, this is a little bit less dystopia, but also highlighting um, black women authors is um, N.K. Jemison, who nice. writes um, fantasy. And I feel like fantasy um, fiction is dominated by like British white men with big beards, you know, Um, those beards, Dave, uh, those beards. I know they go into, they go into quarantine and they come out with a fantasy novel. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like, um, and I just feel like Jemison's um, I I can't, I can't remember the name of her trilogy. Um, I'll find that. We'll put that in the show notes because show notes. I read, I read the first book and loved it, and um, feel like she brings like such an interesting perspective to the fantasy genre in a way that when you get um, so many of these authors, I, and I do read a lot of fantasy and I like it, but also so many of these authors are just building off of each other, and I feel like what we need to do is in any genre or in any system, we need to break down. Um, these ideas and reimagine them because I feel like the power is not in retelling the same story over and over again. The power is to tell, um, tell the same story in a different way or to tell a different story. And that's Mm. um, what's so important about having these new viewpoints. Yeah, absolutely. That break whiteness that helped to like explode the, the imaginary in order that, I mean, that gives us hope, doesn't it? When we can picture a way that's different than yeah, exactly. the, the dystopia that we're living in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I mean, it, I know that Jemison is not a dystopian writer, but I feel like um, she is doing a lot of the same stuff that dystopian work does, which is reimagining or taking the world, and in this case, it's the fantasy world, and putting um, a new twist on it in a way that makes it real and important. So, yeah. Love it. Love it, too. Well, I think it's a good, yeah, segue into Radical Publishing and AK Press. Yeah, this is, um, I'm really, this is something that I'm really curious to learn from you about, because I feel like, um, 
this is kind of your wheelhouse in a lot of ways is um, not only anarchism, but also AK press in particular. And yeah, I definitely have a lot of questions for you that will arise. And um, I don't really have a lot of answers for myself, but I have been um, very heavily influenced by um, radical publishing in general, but also just, I just wanted to, before you get, go really deep into it, know that books have kind of shaped our political thinking and our conscientization. Can you say that word again? Pretty good. Uh, conscientization or conscientization. Yeah. Which is, um, when we worked at a anarchist bookstore in Boulder, left-hand books before it closed down, um, was just kind of led the way led the path for us um, oh, glorious place and, i still miss it yep yeah it opened up new realms and that idea um i'm is just so powerful to have this access to information and have this access to new ideas yeah and um like in the book joyful militancy aubrey lord um she says there are no ideas just new ways of expressing them and i feel like that is what we're striving to do. And that's kind of the, what every um, radical author is trying to do. Take these ideas that we know that are like deep in our core and try and bring them out. Um, yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about the history of AK press and what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. This was the idea for this show episode came from you because you Found Joyful Militancy, which is a book published by AK Press. And yeah, AK Press, I don't know. I I found out about it through Left Hand Books, I'm sure. And it stood out. I mean, Left Hand Books had a lot of great radical publishing houses in there. Um, but AK Press stood out probably because it was explicitly anarchist. And I was like, wow, mm -hmm. that is awesome. That's really cool. Um, because, I mean, previously, anarchism to me meant you know, sort of like dead Kennedy's, like, fuck the government and like destroy, smash the state, basically. And I wasn't opposed to that. It just seemed like, you know, that exact, that wasn't my struggle or something like that. But both Left Hand Books and AK Press expand and deepen the notion of anarchism in this beautiful way that, you know, you may be an anarchist and you don't, you don't even know it. And so yeah. we all were like, oh, wait, we're anarchists, uh, Nick and you and me. And so AK Press was a huge part of that, articulating what anarchism is. And I mean, what it means to them, I guess, is probably that they're a worker-owned co-op. Um, you know, there's no hierarchy and everyone who works there is just a, an owner of mm -hmm. AK Press. And right. But combined with that, they make collective decisions that are horizontal. And then they're also just explicit about that. They're like, and, you know, this process of working together in a horizontal way, that's called anarchism. And so we're going to name it. We're going to name that. And, and by naming it, that makes us subversive to the powers that be because anarchism is by definition very... Um, you know, resistant to hierarchy and 
authoritarianism in our society is laden with both of those things. So yeah, AK Press was started by um, um, this person named Ramsey. I'm forgetting his last name right now. Um, he's Scottish and he started it in 1987 in Scotland. So the first place where it was founded was Edinburgh and he named it for his mother. Oh yeah, his name is Ramsey Kanan. Um, and his ma- mom's name is Anne Kanan. And he started as basically a mail order, like probably for sending people zines and, and um, finding hard to get books and sending it to them. Um, because back in the 80s, I mean, we actually don't realize that we're in a period of, um, we're so lucky to have all these radical presses around us, like PM Press and Seven Stories and South End Press and um, and AK, um, which is back in the eighties, that was not the case. So, um, yeah. And I guess at some point he moved to the United States and, um, founded, a a chapter or, a, a publishing where they were actually publishing books in Oakland. Um, Ramsey left AK press in 2007 and I don't know why, but he started PM press in 2007 which is another great press. And actually when I've done, was doing this research, I found out that, Oh, I know Ramsey. He's come to um, Santa Cruz to Sabrosa multiple times. And I'm like, Oh, I had no idea that this was the person who started AK press and PM press. Oh, wow. Really? That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. It's funny how those little things work like that. Right. It is because the radical communities, are we're small you know and so there's a lot of overlap within yeah leftist radical communities yeah can i ask you a quick question as we're yeah, going go for it. um so i'm reminded of some of the core tenets of anarchist organizations um and i'm not going to remember them all but i know one of the core tenets is um a temporary yes. that's the word yes yeah Um, yeah. And I'm wondering how, like, that's a struggle for, um, any leftist organization talking about how the, how they are temporary, right? Because if they become institutionalized, then they become an institution of power and that kind of, um, can corrupt because power corrupts, right? Yeah. I would say that like, maybe like authoritarian power corrupts, like power itself is not necessarily negative or positive, but when there's like a hierarchy, then it corrupts. But like power that is shared is important. That idea of empowerment or like when people come together, we, like we need power, but we're critical of authority. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that, that feels good to me because I'm also I was thinking, yeah, I mean, AK Press has been around for 33 years, right? Right. And um, I, the fact that Ramsey started a new publishing house 20 years after he started um, AK, he started PM. And I'm wondering how much of that is the idea of um, temporality, temperance. No, not temperance. <laughs> um, and that idea of things needing to shift or Sometimes I think a lot of times when someone starts something, taking a step back is the best 
step forward for a business. So the mm. fact that AK Press is still thriving and Ramsey has taken a step away means that he's taken a step out of that power because the founder and the owners have so much of that vision. But when you take a step back, I think that it allows for that hierarchy to be broken, even if it is um, even if it is explicitly non-hierarchical. Those social um, nuances are very tricky. In yes, you, yeah, you know, we've been in those situations. We've been in yep. those organizations where it's like we don't feel like so invested that we can't like. Um, help influence the decisions and you need to be invested to be an influencer. And I think that I, I just think that maybe there's something there with him taking a step away to let the, the AK press thrive. And I think that I, I would at least like to think in that that happened um, in a really good way, because that brings a lot of hope to me to imagine that. Yeah, I hope so because I like PM Press and then I I really like AK Press in the last 10 years. I think they they like I I'm more and more excited by AK Press. Like I brought in their title Beyond Survival, which is like femmes and queer people of color talking about like alternatives to the prison industrial complex and like how to build communities that are accountable and can take care of their needs. And, and then like, um, we, yeah, like, uh, that book emergent strategy, um, by Adrian Marie Brown is AK press that we, we, even this show, um, like we have, uh, we ride on the, like the work of Adrian Marie Brown and autumn Brown, there's the podcast that they have, How to Survive the End of the World, which um, I had listened to a while ago and I had forgotten that they actually, I mean, I think our podcast is different in many ways, but it is similar to like their thinking as well. So I wanted to name those influences on what we have here. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it'd be... Um... Yeah, it's definitely a huge part. I mean, we are influenced by everything that we've read and we've heard and we've ingested and we've seen. It's It makes us who we are. And um, as we continue to ride on those coattails, um, we hope to push forward and inspire new waves of thinking as we go. And hope that this this show will find some ears and help help radicalize, um, but also not just radicalize, will help um, solidify the the left and this way of thinking that feels like we need it right now, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, m- maybe, like, not necessarily solidify for me, but just, like, um, like highlight or, like, name some things. I don't know, like repackage ideas that you were talking about with Audre Lord, like bring some ideas together and like we're I think we've been pretty clear like since the first episode, we're two two white guys from Colorado um, who are limited, but we have this sort of power and privilege. So why not like talk about the things that we are interested in right now and just 
produce that banter, you know? Hmm. Yeah. So what else about AK, Bob? Well, I thought we might end with Joyful Militancy, and you had the idea of highlighting that book. And so we could use the last segment of our show to sort of dig into what we've read there. I was curious why you chose that book in particular. Um, yeah, well, I feel like Joyful Militancy came to me in a way I wasn't searching for it. Um, but I do feel like this idea of um, a book that we need in this moment that speaks to us in this moment. And even though Joyful Militancy was written um, 2017, it still is speaking to the moment that we're living in currently in the pandemic. And um, it kind of just felt like exactly what I wanted to be thinking about, like how to how to fight these institutional powers in a joyful way, which feels like who I am as a person. I, I want to find the hope and the joy in these situations, but I don't want to, in that hope and joy, I feel like there's a tendency to go towards the ignorant and to um, sort of dust under the rug all the problems and all the doom and gloom that is going on. But I really want to confront those doom and gloom, that doom and gloom. Um, but I feel like I need to do it in a joyful way because that feels really authentic to me. And so I do feel like that joyful part is at its core something that is oftentimes missing from... Um, I guess the struggle as they put it, right? They do. Yeah, they talk they contrast joy to um basically rigid radicalism, which is they're not exactly opposite, but rigid radicalism puts a hamper on joy. Um rigid radicalism is the idea or the tendency for like within social movement spaces um for like certain people to be like the cool ones or the ones who have the best analysis or the ones who have been doing it the longest. And like no one wants to say the wrong thing or fuck up. Um, and so that limits joy. Um, I was curious, how do you think about joy? Um, Cause they're thinking about joy kind of specifically. And they, they say joy is not happiness. I was curious about how you thought about that section. Yeah, I, I'm not like a huge runner, but I do find that running is this type of joy that is kind of, um, kind of opposite of happiness in a lot of ways, because when you are in this, um, the struggle of running and all you want it, your body's tired, you're breathing hard, you're starting to cramp and all, you know that like it could just go away if you just stop, right? If you just start walking. And it's that idea of joy that is sort of um, longer lasting, that like deeper happiness that through the struggle, through this um, hardship that we can find um, a, a stronger happiness that is joy. Does that, does that resonate? Yeah, it does. I think it's a great metaphor because 
they're talking about joy as an expansion of capabilities, like kind of like when your heart opens or like this opening expansion and it, it could be painful. Like joy could definitely be painful. Um, and, but it's, it's like opening and emergent and they, they connect it to this idea of convivial spaces convivial like living together which are they're exciting spaces where like anything is possible um and you know i think of like the early days of when you nick and i were at left hand books i think those were convivial spaces where it's like wow like we're so alive right now i think joy is connected to the feeling of like aliveness um Mm. yeah so yeah, I think what you're saying around running definitely feels right to me. Um, except I would say like running can be seen as kind of an individual thing. Like joy is definitely like a collective project. Right. Yeah, that that's true. Um, I also, another idea that was really resonating with me in the joyful militancy is this, um, this idea that we need to con are like our voices need to continue. And because of that, we must remain in struggle. Um, and I feel like that, that feels really apparent to me. Like it feels like this struggle is going to be a struggle that will continue forever. And I think that we know that we need to remain in this movement. We need to remain um, alive and we need to remain, um, open to the idea that we aren't going to fix everything immediately, but we are going to continue to move this insurmountable boulder up the hill and we're going to do it together. And I feel like if this is, you can look at that in two different ways. You can look at this boulder that is just so painful and so immovable And we're, you can look at it as like, yeah, we're doing this alone, but there's also this other view where you can take this, um, this happiness and you can bring joy towards the fact that we're moving this boulder. And then through that joy, you can open your eyes and take them off the ground and look around you and realize that there are people next to you side by side arm in arm shoulder and shoulder moving this boulder up the hill with you and yes. i feel like that is kind of at the core of the struggle like do you want do you have your head down towards the ground are you just carrying this burden alone or are you carrying it with each other and i feel like we know that the struggle is like the second we move away from this boulder it just puts the boulder onto someone else's shoulder even stronger. So we need to remain carrying this boulder up the hill. Um, yeah. And I feel like that feels like at the core of what this book is talking about, keeping your head up and not, but also knowing that you are going to be walking side by side with people, but you have to keep going and you have to keep in struggle. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, they definitely emphasize friendship. And so like 
to like, I think what one aspect of what you're saying is to, to never forget that you're surrounded by possibilities for friendship. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's a revolutionary thing. Um, that's not like Facebook friends, you know, like just building up of like a following, but friends are like these deep relationships that they look at the, the root of the word friendship and freedom. They're both like connected and like connected to this like sense of love. So like freedom is expanded through friendship in this like way that they're thinking about it. And, mm. and that's really powerful. You know, like it's like, let's not forget how interconnected we are. Let's, let's like, build these connections um and they also talk about like not every like connection is going to work there's going to be some places where like oh well you and i we like can't be friends you know like it's just not going to work doesn't mean like that i like what they say like nothing that they're talking about is prescriptive like they don't want you to follow this like a how-to booklet but rather these are like possibilities that could emerge um so I, I like the the tone of the book as well. Yeah. And what you said reminded me of something you taught me a long time ago, which is um, change happens not through debate, but through collaboration. Mm. Um, and that feels kind of like friendship in a lot of ways. Like, for instance my ways of thinking have been so heavily influenced by our discussion, um, our collaboration. And when I'm in debate with people and arguing, I feel like it solidifies me in my ways of thinking. That's right. And I oftentimes I'm a, I oftentimes do not confront um, conflict very well. And that's something in my personality that I want to change, but also it's it's one of those core things that's very hard, even though I do want it to confront conflict more with an open heart. Um, but yeah, I feel like discussion is will always reign over debate for me. And that is, in, in essence, what friendship is. It's being able to discuss things rather than argue about things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And like plant seeds um that can grow that they, they, they on the cover of their book they have a purple thistle um carla bergman was part of a collective called the purple thistle um and so that's that like biomimicry that we mentioned about that is the the image of joyful militancy um yeah, yeah like growing in the cracks thistle it has this like sharpness to it um but it's also very beautiful Definitely. Yeah. Well, I know we're sort of towards the end of time and I wondered if you had any last thoughts before we moved on to wrapping things up. Yeah, I guess my final thought um, of the book is I just wanted to share this Foucault quote that's in the book because it kind of, um, yeah, it's just a great quote. Anyways, it says, do not think that one has to be sad in order to be militant, even though the thing one is fighting is indomitable. Mm. Sorry, abominable. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, it it feels 
both indomitable and abominable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is this is the struggle. Um, any final things that you'd like to share about AK or Joyful? Um, yeah, I just I think that ends it well, and I would love to connect with people. Like, hopefully, the purpose of this show is just to spark discussions, and so hopefully, we can continue to do that with friends and family. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, I know that in our show notes, we don't have some things we're into, and I forgot what that section was going to be called, Bob. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, like tuned in. What are you tuned, tuned into? In. Yes, tuned in. Do you mind if we uh, switch? Because I know that this has been a heavy show, but also like there's a lot of hope and joy in this show, but I want to talk about some light lightness and talk about some stuff that you're tuned into. Definitely. Do you, yeah, like, do you, like that do you want to go first? Kiki and I have been watching The Boys on Amazon Prime, and it's uh, just on my mind. It's an interesting show about superheroes that is very dark and very violent at times, but it's an interesting twist because the superheroes are like kind of the bad guys. Um, and so, yeah, interesting show that uh, I'm tuned into. How about you, Dave? Yeah, one thing I'm tuned into um, is on, of course, most people that listen to us will also watch John Oliver, but I have been tuned into the Marble Olympics and I have been loving watching all the marble teams on YouTube. So um, Jelly's Marble Runs puts it on and I just think it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's so good. I can't. Yeah. Hopefully we can talk about games and sports in one of these episodes. Yeah. So, well, um, yeah, we we're sort of open at for next episodes, and I was thinking that hopefully we could get some fan feedback on what people are liking or not liking. So we'll share again yeah. our Twitter and email account. The Twitter um, is bmaze nineteen b m a j z nineteen. Um, and no, you could tweet. say that again, Bob. Oh. <laughs> Every time. I love it. <laughs> I messed it up. B-M-A-Z-E-19. Thank you, David. Yeah, of course. Uh, that's also, I linked it in the show notes. So good, if you good. just click on the show notes, you can click on it and you'll open up your Twitter account, which I'm sure no one has. But yeah. you can also just email us at uh, DavePeachTree at gmail.com and let us know what you'd like to hear. Um, I have a few show ideas and I think we should keep them surprised for the next episode, but hopefully we can start getting some um, user feedback, user listener feedback. We can get some users to feedback us um, and we can help craft the show because we definitely want to have some flexibility and I'm like, can't wait to get some people on the, on air with us. Absolutely. That sounds like a ton of joy. Yeah, definitely. So I think maybe we should just leave it there, Bob. Good stuff, Dave. Yep. Well, thanks for the show and hopefully people liked it and pick it up again next week. Yeah, love you, and thanks for all this good stuff, okay? Love you too, Davey. All right, bye, Bob. Bye, Dave. I am lost 
Hey, y'all. Bob and I want to just take a moment and thank you for lending us your ears for this show. And we also want to thank the artists who have lended us the tunes for the show. The intro is a song called In Heaven by Drake Stafford. And the outro that you're listening to right now is a song called Hurricane. And it's by Kulla off the album Colossus. Hope you enjoy it and hope you have a great week.